everyone. Welcome to Party Like a Marketer, the podcast dedicated to in-depth conversations with cannabis and CBD marketers who are breaking down stigma and changing the game of cannabis communications. Today, we're talking to Evan Nissen, founder and owner of Nissen Co. PR. Evan Nissen is the youngest member of the normal board of directors and sits on the board of directors of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. He is the founder of the PR firm Nissen Co., which connects leaders in the legal cannabis, medical marijuana, and hemp industries with influential journalists across the U.S. and the world. In 2010, while still a student, Evan took a semester off and moved to California to run the college outreach for the Cannabis Legalization Ballot Initiative Prop 19, which spanned over 40 actively managed schools statewide. He was the president of Ithaca Students for Sensible Drug Policy for four years, which under his leadership passed one of the first college policies in the country that equalized penalties for cannabis and alcohol on campus. He also received one of the pens used to sign the New York 911 Good Samaritan Law and New York Medical Marijuana Law for his involvement in the passage of both bills. During the 2016 U.S. presidential campaign, Evan pressed Hillary Clinton for a firm answer on her support for legalization during a live town hall event on ABC's Good Morning America. And more recently, as a part of his mission to build socially driven businesses, he co-founded Whoopi and Maya, a woman's focused cannabis brand with actress Whoopi Goldberg and fellow board member Rick Cusick. He then went on to co-found Emerald Farm Tours, a Northern California-based cannabis tour company to give the public a transparent hands-on view of the cannabis industry from seed to sale, and Bloody Good Vape and Smoke, a smoke shop in New Jersey he founded with a victim of cannabis prohibition who was held in jail for a year awaiting trial. Evan has been mentioned in news sources such as the New York Times, CNN, Politico, USA Today, NBC New York, Bloomberg TV, Forbes, and has been profiled in the Cannabis, Civilized, Ithaca Times, Home News Tribune, the Marijuana Times, and the Sun Times. He also received the 2011 Normal Student Activism Award and High Times Freedom Fighter Award for his advocacy. Evan, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell everybody a little bit about what you do, who you are, and what you were doing before you entered the cannabis industry. Give us some context to Nissenco. For sure. I uh, started where we and I were born and bred in cannabis. Um, I started Nissenco right after college, sort of accidentally. Um, and I started about six or seven years prior to that as a volunteer advocate, um, lobbying for medical marijuana and legalization in mostly New York, New Jersey, but also um, I moved, I took a semester off of college and moved out to California in 2010 um, for their recreational legalization um, ballot measure where, where we almost won, um, but that was largely about messaging. You know, we talked about control and tax cannabis, things like that. Um, we were the first campaign to only use the word cannabis instead of marijuana, things like that. Um, and then I moved back to New York, got one of the pens used to sign the um, New York medical marijuana law and the New York 911 Good Samaritan Overdose Prevention Law. Um, and then I initially actually got hired to lobby for a bill I was supporting for free, um, which was industrial hemp in New Jersey. And then during that campaign, um, I wound up sending them a lot of reporters, which led to uh, my PR firm. And now we have about 20 employees. And so that that was the accident? Was that you yeah. were starting with lobbying for this group? Yeah, well, I started doing, I was lobbying for industrial hemp in New Jersey for free. And then this client paid me to lobby. And then I wound up sending them reporters. And then 
they hired me for PR in addition to that and then started referring. So yeah, it was one, one sort of accident, happy accident led to another happy accident. Nice. And why cannabis and hemp? I mean, what got you so excited about those to start your advocacy at such a young age? Um, so I was drug testing in high school um, for falling asleep in class one time, just like random, like not randomly drug tested, but. And this was in New Jersey? Yeah, New Jersey, in a public school, mm-hmm. um, which pissed me off. And I didn't even smoke back then, you know, at all. Um, and then I started smoking right after high school, I would say, and just realized that it was like all a lie and it was just bullshit. Um, and then in an economics course, I think in freshman year, we um, did a uh, using economic theorem and like theory and, and equations, we, we plotted out a cocaine market. And basically, it made me realize that the entire drug war just made no sense from every logical angle. And it was a purely emotional reaction to a a problem. Um, And for me, it was all centered around drug policy, actually. Um, You know, cannabis was a something I care about because, you know, I'm a consumer myself. And it's something that I think is incredibly unjust, you know, maybe maybe even more than the other drugs. But the entire drug war is a disaster in my mind. And you started organizing, I know, in college as well with Students for Sensible Drug Policy. And did that, I mean, how did that work translate to the lobbying you did? Was that a separate thing or together? Or, or t- tell me a little bit about them and how they helped you. Yeah, it was basically one and the same. Um, you know, a lot of times I'd wear my normal hat. A lot of times I'd wear my SSTP hat. Um, the uh, the Students for Sensible Drug Policy chapter that we had had a lot of victories on campus. Um, we were tied for the first campaign, the first campus to equalize penalties for marijuana and alcohol on campus. And which campus UConn, was this? Uh, Ithaca College. Mm-hmm. Um, we were tied with UConn. Um, and we passed something called the Good Samaritan policy, which allowed you to do the call um, for medical assistance during drug overdoses and things like that. Uh, and then the success we had on that is what led up to us lobbying on the state level for that same policy. We sort of lobbied on it as it, we lobbied it as an extension of the successful college policy, basically. Um, and a lot of my employees now, or at least a handful of my employees actually come from my SSTP chapter. And I'll most, I don't want to say most, but there's a good chance that most of my employees in this and co across the board um, come from the SSDP network. Mm-hmm. Nice. So then, so you started at SSDP, you did this, this lobbying at the college level and you took it to the state level and then across the country to California. So now you've started Nissenco PR. So where do you go from there? So you have that first client. How did you grow the company? And do you have a specific focus? Is Nissenco really, you know, cannabis and advocacy based or, you know, what, who are the type of clients that you work with? Sure. So most of the employees um, either come from um, a PR background or an advocacy background in communications in some sort at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started for the first five or six years purely doing um, media outreach. Um, basically, our the simplest way to put what we do and our goal is to is to build a relationship and maintain a relationship with every single reporter and reviewer that's covered cannabis in English or cannabis-related products or industries like CBD or hemp or vaporizers. Um, so uh, initially, I started this list, um, and then we did such a good job that my first client started referring us to second client, that second client 
wound up referring us to like five more people. Um, so it took time, you know, initially, um, but it was all centered around that list of reporter relationships that I initially started in a Google Doc and is now, you know, on Salesforce um, and just managing that. Um, we have since started spreading our wings a little bit, you know, and start and um, as the industry matures and regulations loosen, we're allowed to do things like SEO uh, and some marketing tactics, um, content marketing uh, specifically, or or is really what we're doing a lot of. Um, I started some other companies too, uh, a smoke shop tour company. Uh, I have some real estate and some other things, um, and so I use the other companies sort of as um, I don't want to say playgrounds, but but ways to learn new marketing tactics. And then once something works, we bring it over to Nissan Co. Um, we start offering it to existing clients. And then if it works, we'll offer it um, to new clients. So is that how you expanded to the marketing services sector within Nissan Co? Was you tried it with these other brands and then you, you brought it in-house and offered it outwards to clients? Exactly, yeah. Um, I learned SEO myself for my other companies, you know, to get, to get revenue for the companies. I was like, this is important. I want to figure this out. I have missing code too. You know, it could be mutually beneficial. Um, and then I saw getting what, what happened to revenue when you go from the second page, to the bottom of the first page, like instantly up and you go from the bottom of the second page, to the top of the first page, again, noticeable. And then you go from that third, second, first spot. Um, I mean, that is what makes a business that could make a business successful alone. Um, and it's really hard to say that you can dominate or own a part of an industry without owning it on Google also. Um, and then I realized how um, PR and SEO is, you know, because the best SEO firms in the world can't get the backlinks that we can get as a PR firm. Um, so those types of things, those two things together have been really powerful for my other companies and for clients. And what were some of the first steps or resources you went to when you went to learn SEO? Like, do you have any, like, did you go to Google skill shop or where did you go to learn those things? Uh, I just started downloading a bunch of tools, researching and playing around with the companies. I mean, this is a huge advantage I have um, that probably an unfair advantage that I had the different companies to mess around with. I could, you know, try something on one. If it worked, I'd try it on another. If it worked, I'd try it on the third. Um, I could see, monitor all my companies very, very closely and see, oh, why is this one going down, but this one's going up. Um, I, was, I was able to sort of start figuring out the algorithm because I had the different companies to mess around with and observe and, and tinker with. Mm -hmm. And your background is purely communications, not technical, right? So you, you don't need a tech background to figure this out. Yeah, for sure. I don't even know what my background is at this point. I mean, I started doing advocacy. I went to school for marketing and management, but I honestly didn't go to class. I mean, I guess I went to class enough to pass, but I was lobbying more than I, as much as I possibly was able to. Um, and then I started the PR firm because of the experience from the advocacy. So I don't even know. I think it's, yeah, I guess it's communications, public affairs is probably yeah. my background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a business too. I like business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. You're an entrepreneur. 
So we do have a lot of startups and entrepreneurs who listen um, and who are curious about how to leverage PR. A lot are early stage and maybe don't have the funds to put a a firm on retainer. Can you talk a little bit about some of the first steps that um, entrepreneurs should consider when approaching public relations? Um, Probably first, if you're low budget and then next, you know, how do you engage with a firm as you grow? Yeah, I mean, it could be free. You don't need, like, firms like us will always have more relationships um, that we'll be able to keep fresh because we have new clients coming in that we could always pitch and things like that. Uh, I don't know where that alert was coming from. I thought I turned them off. Uh, <laughs> um, but really what reporters are trying to do are is write about things that their readers want to cover mm-hmm. uh, as quickly and efficiently and as legitimately as possible. So if you're a legitimate source, and you start reaching out to reporters and you're helpful, they will work with you. I Almost all of them will work with you. Um, it's not like an impenetrable barrier to reach out to these reporters. A lot of their emails are public. Um, you'll find that it's just going to be hard to maintain a consistent reporter, a consistent presence in the media by doing that. But you definitely will be able to have a presence in the media to, uh, in some amount. You know what I mean? Maybe monthly or something like that um, if you develop a good relationship with reporters and they'll really appreciate that Mm -hmm. yeah so just find you know reporters that have a beat related to what your topic of expertise is and just send them an email reach out to them on twitter and let them know that you're a resource yeah and be helpful you know don't say this is my product you know it's better than the product you covered and you know whatever um and don't say this is the company, this is how I want to cover it or pitch them right away. But, you know, offer yourself up for anything that you think, you know, I have a cannabis grow house and we use LED lights and we're sustainable. If I can help with anything related to cannabis, you know, anything related to those issues, let me know. Or if I can help connect you with people, you know, in the grow space, let me know. Um, That will go a much, much, much longer way than you trying to, to, treat a reporter like your marketer yeah that makes sense and so then for the companies that are a little bit bigger and want to engage with a pr firm what are some things they need to consider when approaching a firm and and how should they go about those conversations basically what how do you find the fit that this firm is going to be right for me and my company totally Uh, i mean you should have a conversation with a few firms probably, you know, at least get the vibe, get the sense of who they are, the type of people that work there. Um, do they work? Are they strict hours? You know, is it an office where they shut down at five o'clock and, you know, that's that. Um, what type of account management is it? How many people are going to be pitching you? Sort of. Uh, and also think about what your goals are, mm-hmm. you know, what are your goals, raising capital, building brand equity, gaining customers, um, building brand notoriety, um, building yourself up to position yourself for leverage for contract negotiations or other types of of negotiations uh, and think about what those are and be ready to go to the firm with that if you want to be, if if you want to maximize the chance that you're going to be happy with the results at the end, um, because then the firm will be able to say, all right, we can definitely do this. We may be able to do this or we can't do this. And what type of services you know, be, they should be able to give you a pretty clear picture of what they'll do for you that will accomplish those goals. Um, but aside from that, the most important thing, if, if your goal is media hits, you know, getting 
in the media, in articles, um, the most important thing, I don't want to say I speak for every PR firm, but I'm pretty sure I speak for every PR firm, is be ready to respond to the reporter's requests um, and reply to your PR firm. Um, because the PR firm can do hours and hours and hours of work to get a lead. And if you're busy and you don't communicate that to the firm, um, you could leave, lose a lead that, that took a lot of work to get. Yeah. And that see, happens a lot. I was just going to say, do you see that happen a lot with your clients? Um, we have clients sometimes that come on, um, particularly like very busy entrepreneurs, um, that haven't built up the infrastructure yet and they know that the media hits would be good for them, but they're very busy. They're flying all over the world or, or the they were flying over wherever. They were meeting with people. I guess it's not an issue anymore, but they weren't, it was an issue. They were meeting with people, you know, going to conferences, they were on the floor of conferences um, and they didn't have somebody to delegate that to. Yeah. Um, and then they, that could, that can become frustrating for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the differences you see working in public relations for cannabis versus other industries? It's very specific. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of firms that are non-cannabis firms that are learning it, um, but you really have to know it. You can't fake it. Um, know the industry? Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't work with somebody who's like, one of the, the, the mistakes I see some people make, there's actually a few larger brands that did this. They come to us, we get them a lot of media, and then they will go to like a Fifth Avenue firm that's three or four times as much money that is like they've done Coca-Cola or whatever, you know what I mean? But they don't know cannabis at all. So they wound up getting charged three or four times the amount. It's a frustrating experience for everyone. And then they come back to us. That's happened like three or four times. Um, so I'm not saying those are they're bad at PR. I'm sure they're great at PR for the industries they know, but make sure whether it's us or, well, we obviously know PR, but whoever you work with, um, that they know cannabis and PR. Uh, and also I would say if you're a CBD brand, um, a lot of CBD brands say that they're not cannabis. Um, in this world, you kind of are. Like you can go to a lifestyle PR firm for sure and you will get yeah. hits. Um, but no matter what type of angle you're going for in the CBD, CBD world right now, you really are still relying on the CBD reporters, the reviewers and the reporters that cover that general beat. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And do you work with reporters? Um, I guess my question is, do you find reporters in the cannabis space are working to do, I guess, well on behalf of the industry and portray things you know, given that cannabis has been illegal for 80 years and the drug war is still going on. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation out there about our industry, about this plant, what it does, who it affects. Um, and I think part of our, our goal as industry professionals is to change that narrative and change that conversation. Do you see uh, brands and reporters like working towards that common goal or um, does that conversation even come up or is it just very you know, here's, here's the company, here's what we do, and, and here's how it's going to be talked about. I would, yeah, I mean, reporters for sure have helped. I would yeah. say, I mean, I would almost say that there have been reporter advocate, I mean, a lot of reporter advocates. Um, there's a lot of people in advocacy that came from SSTP that are now writing that we work with as an example. Um, and 
particularly freelancers, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is probably true to some degree with staff, but particularly freelancers, they kind of are getting screwed more than anyone like in society right now, not more than anyone, but I mean, they're, they have the contractor issue going on and they, it's hard to make it, you know, the comfortable living in any sense. Uh, and I, maybe because of that, they're more, they really want to do good in their writing, a lot of them. Um, I mean, of course, there's like the staff writers and then like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journals or whatever, where like they're 100% just giving you the, the accurate picture. Um, and I think that's true. Well, the accurate picture is what we're fighting for. But I think that freelancers specifically, for whatever reason, maybe because it's it's the circumstances that they're in themselves, they really like covering things that are positive for society. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so um, another thing I think we see with cannabis and companies in this space is there's so much similarity between brands, particularly with CBD companies, right? Like what makes your CBD brand different than the next? Do you have advice for startups and entrepreneurs on how to differentiate and particularly how that translates when working with PR in the media? Yes. So one, be very I should have mentioned this earlier when I answered how to work with reporters. If you're a CBD brand, brand be very careful with reaching out to reporters and reviewers right now. They are very, um, they're tired and some are fed up with CBD yeah. pitches. Um, we monitored um, reporters' tweets constantly, and I don't think there's been more complaining <laughs> about um, pitches than CBD pitches uh, from these reporters recently. Um, luckily we haven't been included in any yet. We go through great lengths to try to not be complained about. Um, but you have to be very careful. You either need a very specific angle or you should take different type of tactics. Um, do things that are press worthy instead of just asking for press, um, would be good. Um, doing things like, um, SEO is huge. I mean, you PR honestly, to, to compete as a CBD brand effectively right now, especially in e-commerce, you really need to be doing everything. You need to be having ads, you need to be doing SEO, you need to be doing PR, um, you need to be doing partnership and brand building. It is such a competitive space. Um, you really shouldn't go into that as a startup right now, in my opinion, unless you want to be a local brand. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then what is the number, maybe you just touched on this, but what is the number one mistake you see PR professionals make in this space? Is it is it that exactly, just not differentiating and asking for help? Or is there anything more specific you see that you're like, oh gosh, I just wish people wouldn't do this? Uh, treating reporters like their marketing yeah. staff. That is... Um, it like hurts when that happens, when especially when the reporters see it. It's like in the email chain. Uh, that's just not their job, you know. Like it just isn't. They're reporters, and they'll take their job of reporting and telling a story as they see it pretty seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, all of them, you know, whether they consider themselves advocates or whatever, they none of them want to consider themselves like shells for 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 companies that aren't paying them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. happy to do things mutually beneficial. Um, but think about it like that. Do not think about it as a one way road. Yeah, that's fair. That makes sense. 
And I would say, what is your favorite thing about working in cannabis and working in this space? Like what gets you so excited and, and doing this and waking up every morning? Um, well, it's exciting to me because I was able to start before there was a recreational industry. So yeah. there's something sort of sentimental about it for me where I like saw when legalization bills were, you know, word documents on my laptop and things like that. And now they're in play. Um, but I, but really I love the people for the most part. And I love the, I don't want to say unpredictable nature of it because it's not necessarily unpredictable, but it's ever changing. Yeah. Uh, and you have to be consistently adapting. Um, and I feel like I never thought about this before, but you know, like that saying, like, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I kind of feel like it's like that for cannabis as an entrepreneur. Like if you can That's make true. it in cannabis, you can basically make it anywhere. Um, and while I still have this energy, I guess I like doing that. Yeah. That's true. That makes sense. So something you had mentioned earlier was in California when you were passing that bill that that was the first one to exclusively use the word cannabis. Correct. Um, I want to. Uh, sorry, what? Tried to pass the bill. We got 46.5% of the vote. So close. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, do you work with reporters and your brands on language and specifically the use and difference of the word cannabis versus marijuana? I know this is something internally we talk about a lot in the industry, um, given that marijuana was is basically the propaganda word that the government used that has racial connotations behind it. Do you, does that conversation come up with your clients and with reporters? Do you spend time educating on that? And is that, is that a part of your strategy? For the first few years, that was the majority of my time. Um, lately, it really is not. Um, I think most people understand it. Um, also, using the word marijuana right now isn't as harmful as it was back then. You know, we were really trying like where legalization is happening at this point, yeah. uh, I can't foresee, I mean, we have Donald Trump in office and I still think it's going to happen. I can't foresee, I don't want to say anything too soon, but I, it would be hard for me to imagine a situation um, where it didn't happen. Uh, and back then we were really fighting for all of those undecideds and you know, like I had to put on a suit anytime I went anywhere and now I haven't worn a suit in you know, a while. I mean, I guess a few times since before the pandemic, but not nearly as much. I wore suits much more as an, before as an example. Um, so those types of messaging issues and the education that goes along with it, like what is CBD isn't as important anymore, um, but we're still available. And there's a lot of lingo, a lot of new reporters who are coming in who are saying like, oh, what lingo should I use? Can you look at my, my article and make sure that I'm like not accidentally looking like an idiot to people who can see them or whatever? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And so what do you think is one of the biggest disconnects you see between the public and the cannabis industry? I mean, something I think we notice is that there's a massive, to your point, educational gap between consumers and non-consumers or those who are really intimate and comfortable with this space and those who are not. Um, what's the biggest disconnect you see? And is there ways that Nissan and Co and your firm kind of works to remediate that? Let me think. There's a lot of disconnects. Um, probably the most common is the simplicity. I think a lot of the public think the cannabis industry is just a dispensary. Like if you want to get in the industry, you start a dispensary and that's yeah. your option. 
Um, and a lot of our job is, is sort of mitigating that. I mean, we're talking to growers and bud tenders and accountants and law firms and consultants and investors. Um, and um, I think we were able to also help with that. Again, not to talk too much about the past, but when we, we were able to sort of when those when the initial institutions weren't on board, like when Wall Street itself wasn't necessarily on board with this or um, the banks are kind of I think they want to be on board, you know, like they're not fighting us as an example. Um, when we were able to do those types of messages, I think there was a little bit more advocacy in it also mm-hmm. to get yeah to get those on board. That makes sense. And so where do you see the future of things going for Niss and Co and the industry? What would be a win for you in three to five years? Um, for Niss and Co, I am loving SEO. So yeah. I definitely want to expand SEO. Um, I would love to have that like sort of fully built out like the PR side is um, and then keep expanding. You know, we really like the like like sibling companies we're starting to call like Famco, like I started a smoke shop, a couple of smoke shops in New Jersey, and we carry a lot of Nissan Co clients. And we're starting to do things like um, consumer review testing, like literal testing with actual customers in the, in the smoke shops. Um, and we, like I was saying, Emerald Farm Tours, we have branding opportunities with that. Um, and there's a lot of mutually beneficial way, you know, we can use that to bring busfuls of tourists to our clients' dispensaries when there's not a pandemic. Um, so I think building out Nissan Co as a PR and communications firm, and then building out the sort of um, sibling companies um, that are mutually beneficial with it. And with this pandemic, I mean, I know this is sort of changing the game for everybody. And maybe as of this conversation, it's a little bit early, but how do you see this changing the industry? And particularly from a PR perspective, I mean, what What's happening with your dispensary clients and what's what's shifting now that we're all at home? It's fascinating because we actually, there's a dramatic shift in obviously the industry and yeah. where money is flowing and everything like that. So a lot of clients are having cash flow issues. Um, a lot of clients are, are coming to us because they have new business models that are related to COVID or something like that. Um, and there's a lot of, but there's a lot more articles being written, period. This is something that I was not expecting. We have more media opportunities for our clients than we have had in years, mostly related to COVID. Um, but there's just more media being consumed by people being at home and written by reporters being at home instead of out in the field and things like that, um, that there's just tons of that going on. Um, and we also are having a noticeable uptick in our SEO clients because so many people are going to, online to shop um that the the PR and SEO sort of synergy is something that a lot of clients are starting to come to us for. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I want to talk a little bit about SEO before we wrap up. So tell me a little bit about the first steps that you take with clients when you approach SEO work with them. Where where can and what I'm trying to get at is where can our listeners and startups and entrepreneurs start with SEO if again they can't hire a firm um, or are are new to this space? Sure. So we do audits for free. So like, and I like doing audits. So that's, you can contact us and I'll do an audit. Um, on our SEO page on our website, um, we also have a free audit. That's mostly for retail locations and dispensaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can put yourself in as an e-commerce shop. Um, and 
I really like Moz as a tool. That would be one yeah. that every 30 day trial. Um, I would try that, you know, if it was a low budget and you want to do it yourself um, and checklists, there's start Googling onsite SEO checklist, offsite SEO checklist. Um, that's the crux of it. Like you're going to get 80% of it by following those checklists and the other 20% of it will be unfortunately impossible unless you have multiple companies to tinker with. Um, but you'll be able to at least get yourself, you know, on the first page with that stuff, um, or your first couple of clients in the door, if you were trying to start, you know, a little practice and then have the clients to tinker around with and learn more about. Mm -hmm. And do you, so outside of those checklists, do you also, uh, prioritize or recommend writing content and, and beefing up blogs? Yeah, for sure. But it should be, um, strategic so we'll do we'll start with an audit of the first initial things that we see on site off site that they can improve uh structurally um on the back end uh, and then a competitive analysis and we'll look at all their competitors the their top keywords and also their top performing pages uh and if you look at your competitors top performing pages you could start getting an idea of what people are googling for um, and do topics based on that. But if you do just random blogs for content, it will be helpful, but you really want content that people are Googling and sharing around and coming back to. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay. Um, so last few questions. So how are you changing how the cannabis industry is perceived? And, and I, I say that as Evan personally, what's, what's your angle into this? I mean, what I'm trying to do is, I guess I'm a social entrepreneur, like getting what I was saying, like, I don't know what my background is. It's part business, part advocacy and public affairs. Um, I think building more businesses that help each other and that have a social tie-in um, is the way to do it. Like my personal mission statement, life, whatever, is to build influence well, build power, but everyone's afraid of the word power. Build power and influence for myself to change the things that I want to change um, socially and then monetize that power and influence how I can ethically. So I want to, I'm basically, I don't want to say using the cannabis to, to start that, but, but, but the cannabis industry is part of that plan. You know, Missing Co. and all these other companies will fall into, my hope is that plan and while we do that, we can show what the cannabis industry can and should be, which is, you know, a socially aware and conscious industry. And you guys also do pro bono work for nonprofits and advocacy groups, right? Yes. Um, we we're pausing that briefly for the pandemic, um, sure. but the application is still online and we do rolling applications and we have some lists of clients that we've worked on there, uh, like sauna packaging, Africa Rising we did. Um, I love that stuff. Um, so yeah, everyone should apply if you have, if you're a nonprofit or honestly, we love just as much for profits that are doing things, uh, that are setting good examples. Um, I think like the, the free work we did for sauna is actually has been one of the more effective work, effective things we've done at shaping the industry. Um, we did a free thing for them on their, um, uh, ocean, um, reclaimed ocean plastic. And, and who are they and what do they do? Uh, sauna packaging, they do um, green packaging. Uh, mm -hmm. And we did a free push for them on, uh, they, they had a, a packaging that they came out with from reclaimed ocean plastic. Mm -hmm. uh, and then since then, I actually had a number of packaging companies that told me without knowing that I did, we did their PR, 
saying like, oh, Sana's like doing this and they're getting a lot of attention for it. So we're going to be doing, you know, a line of green packaging and stuff like that. Um, okay. That's really what we want. You know, we want to be able to highlight things that other companies will mimic if we highlight it. Awesome. All right. Well, tell us where, um, any last things you want to say or you want to mention? Um, no, this was good. I appreciate you having us on. It's been a great partnership with you guys. And uh, yeah, no, we love you guys. Well, tell, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Tell, um, tell everybody where they can find you and how they can get a hold of you. Cool. Uh, Nissanco.com. N as in Nancy. I S as in Sam. O N as in Nancy. CO, like company, dot com. Um, and I'm there. It's easy to get a hold of. Awesome. Thank you so much, Evan. It's been a pleasure. Yep. Thanks. You too. Thank you for listening. Did you like this video? Give us a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. You can learn more at thecannabismarketingassociation.com and find us on social media at at Marketing and at Cannabis Marketing Summit. And don't forget to buy tickets to our annual virtual Cannabis Marketing Summit this June.